0: people were posting articles about like uh, you know what the the theory side of osr and stuff and i kind of realized that there was this whole sphere of stuff that i wasn't aware of that contained all this inspiration that i was already looking for and finding in old dungeons and dragons material but didn't know it had a label i didn't know there was a a renaissance of this stuff popping up and through that forum i started to really realize that there is a whole community and there's a tons of really talented creators creating stuff that isn't dungeons and dragons
1: Hi, it's Gary Snow from Daiku Games Podcast, and I'm here with Leo from LFOSR. So welcome, Leo, and uh, I'm really glad you could join us today.
0: Oh, thank you so much. I'm really glad to be here. It's been a long time coming. I've been wanting to talk to you more a lot, so very nice to be here.
1: Yeah, it's great. And so, uh, Leo, you've been uh, active in the OSR space, and that was initially what drew me to, uh, you know, you caught my attention there. And just tell us a little bit about how you got, maybe let's back up and go, how did you get involved with RPGs in the first place and your journey up until this point?
0: Sure. Yeah. The, you know, it's really interesting The RPGs have always kind of been in my life ever since just being a kid, I was kind of growing up around uh, fantasy video games, always being around. My best friend was always playing Baldur's Gate and Icewind Dale and Neverwinter Nights and all that stuff. And he uh, really got me into like the Forgotten Realms side of things and we kind of dove into it a lot together as we got more and more interested and we never really got to play D&D per se until later on like when I was in my teenage years and I could actually afford to get my own books and such you know before that I was always just referencing other people's books that I could see while I was over at their friend's house or at my friend's house or who- whatever and and so it took a while for me to really get into it but once I did really get into it in my teenage years it it took a while to understand that there was more than just D&D out there I didn't really I just played you know whatever edition was kind of prevalent at the time and kept up with the modern meta and all that stuff and I didn't really get to play as much as I it wasn't as appealing to me as like I had originally thought it could be just probably because the additions that I was playing wasn't clicking for me and then later on, especially in the beginning of the pandemic and stuff when uh, I was just kind of bored looking at different types of artwork and I do a lot of artwork and before I was really into RPGs I was just kind of fascinated by the old artwork that was in some of the like the advanced Dungeons and Dragons era books and stuff and so I started downloading older pdfs of these books and I didn't really have many of the older stuff I've ever sent retroactively I've since like started purchased AD&D books and stuff but really didn't own any at the time so I was just kind of exploring this treasure trove each little module that I found was a new thing I'd never heard about I'd, I'd maybe seen a cover Maybe, but even then probably not, you know, I was looking at the modern stuff all the time. So I really started to dig in just as an interest from the art and I would pick and choose these pieces of artwork that really jumped out to me. And they were also tapped into like a certain type of evocative style that was very unique to that era of RPG artwork. You know, So early in the game that so many things were there wasn't like a a, a determined like style for all the covers you know it was kind of up to the whatever painter was commissioned for it and this kind of stuff so there was a lot of like expression coming through in these illustrations that really spoke to me I ended up really getting into a lot of that era of illustrations and I decided to kind of try to emulate that style after a certain you know I I was trying so many different art styles through my little art career but none of them works. none of them were um really like taking off in a way that could be like commercially, you know, viable. And then so I was kind of doing this just from a passion project and and I got I spent months just trying to emulate these certain stippling style that I really, really liked and I got pretty close. And so I got I did one landscape i've always loved landscapes and so I, I focused on a landscape first and foremost and i posted it onto reddit and uh it, it did surprisingly well and i was getting a lot of encouragement of like wow i haven't seen this this type of artwork since you know the way back in the day and so that gave me the initial push to really kind of put a lot more effort into it and so there was a time and point where i was doing a square illustration which you can find on my instagram all the original ones are still there i used to do one of those a day and I did that for like three months of just really quick square illustrations. And it was um very challenging, but it really kind of got me into the swing of things as far as like what I wanted to do with this new style and finding out why it was appealing to me. And I was ultimately creating illustrations that I wanted to see that no one else was kind of creating in a modern sense. And so I, I just kind of kept doing it from that. And then I realized people were really enjoying this stuff and they're really enjoying a. Uh, products that it can be associated with. I was starting to get commissions for the first time in this space and so kind of grew from there and I kind of ever since have just kind of embraced the whole OSR art scene and, and the scene itself you know in creating my own content and it's kind of just clicked ever since then. It's been a kind of serendipitous of just things falling in perfect places, opportunity presenting themselves, you know, at the right time, the availability that I had at the right time of transitioning my personal career. And as of right now, you know, this is a full time thing for me in tandem with the, the publishing side of the business, which I'm sure we can talk about later. And then now artwork, I get paid to do artwork, which I, if you would have told me that two years ago, I'd be, I'd say, that's crazy. You're crazy. That's not, you're lying to me. You know what I mean? So it's been a very rapid change from, you know, RPGs being, a thing in my life that i like to use as a pastime to now it's like the focus of you know my career and what i'm doing and the driving motivation factor for me to continue to do this and stuff and it, it's been really incredible and, and the way it's uh progressed has been kind of uh, breathtaking. breathtaking it, it's, it's been really incredible and you know the support from people like yourselves and people that are just generally interested in what i do and take the time out of their day to interview me it's it's all kind of mind-blowing at this point so it's kind of a long answer to your question but it, it it's kind of snowballed I think you kind of get the idea that it's very much snowballed.
1: Did you ever kind of have a moment of like when you were like playing with like 5e and then you kind of had that light bulb moment where you discovered OSR or has it always have mm-hmm. you grown with OSR right from the beginning?
0: No it was definitely like a very poignant moment where I discovered it and it was the uh, I was on I, I love uh, reddit so I was on reddit a lot and I saw on one of the RPG subreddits that the, there's new forum was being opened up and it was the OSR pit and it was this new kind of form that was really inspired from the fallout of G plus and stuff and I wasn't aware of any of that stuff that came before I was into the OSR and so this new forum kind of popped out and I was like oh what is this I really like old school forums and stuff. And so it's was like, I like getting early, being early into forums too, because you, you just kind of establish yourself as like a, a pillar of that community or whatever. So I, I was kind of interested in that. So I checked it out. And from there it kind of, you know, people were posting articles about like, a, you know, what the, the, the theory side of OSR and stuff. And I kind of realized that there was this whole sphere of stuff that I wasn't aware of that contained all this inspiration that I was already looking for and finding in old, Dungeons and Dragons material, but didn't know it had a label. I didn't know there was a, a, a renaissance of this stuff popping up. And through that forum, I started to really realize that there is a whole community and there's a, tons of really talented creators creating stuff that isn't Dungeons and Dragons. And the, the first one that really kind of um, appealed to me was uh, Ben Milton's uh, Knave, which I, I now I publish for him, which is pretty cool, but in a certain sense, it's open gaming license, but he, uh, That system, along with his YouTube videos, really, really got me in the headspace of, oh, there's a whole community here and there's a whole scene for me that's doing the same things that I am trying to do and are just as interested and just as willing to support other creators, be it either following them or financially like paying for their products out of their own pockets and and crowdfunding this stuff and it was a big kind of moment for me to realize that that existed I assume this is a kind of the same story for a lot of people where it says you didn't know it existed and then once you did know it existed it changed things so much because it was like I have a place to post all this content I have a place to research all this content I have a archive of all this stuff that's been done online for so long way ahead of you know me getting into it and it's it was definitely a big moment. And, and I remember really thinking when I discovered that, it, it really solidified the idea for me that I wanted to create like a product for something I could call my own and then, you know, post about it and really get my foot in the door. And, that, and that's kind of what started my first uh, Kickstarter as I started to kind of really think from there about what could I do on a bigger project. I really wanted to do it by myself. I wanted to give myself a shot entirely just me working on something and see what people think am I a good fit for this type of content for this industry for you know this crowd and uh, that kind of led to the kickstarter which did really well and then from there on I've just been really giving it my all and putting my whole heart into it ever since I discovered it. What was your first uh, kickstarter
1: and uh, like how long ago did that take off for you?
0: Uh, Yeah that was late 2020 and, and it was uh, a packet of particular peaks. So it was, it was kind of like a centric, it was a, a, a mountainous centric setting source book with three really weird peaks that all kind of had this ethereal kind of sense that they could exist in any world. You know, and they all represented one, represented dreams, one represented like time passage and stuff. And so they were all kind of just unique little ideas that I wanted to do. And, and I really had a, uh, a draw. I really wanted to draw mountains. And so it was kind of funny that like I was, I was. Drawing so many mountains and stuff. And I was like, I need to find a way to repurpose all these mountain drawings and make a setting with all this stuff. And so it kind of went from there. And I spent a long time researching what I really liked in setting source books and stuff and picked and choose these things. And I made a pretty beefy bestiary that went with it. And I really dove into a lot of the creative side of the things. And it was all system neutral. So I didn't really get bogged down with having it work with, you know, 5E or nave or any specific system like that. It was just more or less gave me more room to be creative with these things without worrying about you know how they're going to be implemented into the game because that was one of the coolest parts about the OSR it was like you things didn't necessarily need to have these rules applied to them you could give someone a little nugget of inspiration or lore and then they could apply it to any system they wanted so i really kind of built it from the ground up like that and i took it to kickstarter i didn't um i didn't really market it just because i kind of wanted to see how it did just raw just out there and at that time i had i think I was. Like maybe a thousand followers on Instagram. I had only been focusing on Instagram at that point, and so I launched a Kickstarter. I got I think over seven hundred backers, which was way over what I was you know looking for. I did I think three hundred percent of what it ultimately that I was trying to get, and so I got a. Uh, it did really really well. It really surprised me, and I did a pretty large run of it, and then that helped me kind of fund these other operations that I'm currently doing now. Like I do a lot of handcrafting of my books and for handcraft books for other people. And so that group, uh, that money really helped me get like the equipment and invest a lot of time and in myself into my printing side of things, which really went from, you know, the side project to kind of the focus of my business now, but that Kickstarter was really, really key in that. And, it, and it, it's very humbling to see you know people posting their shelfie pics and seeing that book on their shelf or seeing it you know make uh it was in one of the questing bees videos recently like it's, it's very cool to see how far that book has gone and it was really was the you know in the same way that discovering the osr was like oh i i'm here these are my people type of thing and then all of a sudden doing this Kickstarter was another one of those moments of like, okay, I can do this. I can make this like a real thing that I am doing now and supporting my family and able to be really proud of what I'm doing. And, you know, working on that book was one of the biggest projects I've ever done. I've been a part of bigger projects in my career, but this was all me. It was all just my focus, my own brain. And uh, seeing how well it did really solidified that I want to do this with my whole heart. I want to put everything into this. And especially because it wasn't feeling like work, even after that huge challenge of creating a big book like that. Um, it, I, it was easy to go to sleep. You know, at the end of the day, I wasn't stressed out. I, it didn't feel like work, but I was still, you know, achieving my goals and still making money. So it was a, a very crazy moment for me. And it came at a very good time to where it really, really changed me and my family's life. And it's been different ever since and it's kind of and I really encourage people to really consider crowdfunding as an option when it comes to this stuff because it it seems so much challenging that it may really be and you have to be careful for sure especially now with the challenging logistical issues and such but it really was one of those things where I wasn't sure I could do it I did a lot of research I kind of got myself confident enough to give it a shot and it did way better than I did and now it's kind of that was the changing point of this whole career that I'm doing now so it's It was a big job for sure, but I'm so proud of that book and people can check it out on the website. I still have some copies for sale as well. And I'm hoping to follow up with the next one. But again, this logistical issues are kind of making Kickstarter a real challenge right now, but I'm hoping to do another one.
1: And then speaking of like logistical challenges and your handcraft printing, just maybe go into some of the equipment that you've purchased and what's the draw of it for you. I mean, obviously they seem to very, very much go hand in hand with zines and, uh, Handcrafted printing and the OSR. So maybe if you could just like share like your first steps into that realm and then mm. how it's evolved.
0: Yeah, definitely. I was handcrafting. Kind of, I really like uh, high quality handcrafted things. You know, there's something just uh, about holding a handcrafted something that feels so much better than <clears throat> something that was pushed out by a mass producer. You know, and I've always really i i had been printing self-printing some of my books personally just because i was getting kind of sick of um reading PDFs. and as i was exploring these old AD D books i was getting sick of staring at a screen so i'd print them out in really small format books and i would sit on the couch and read them and that and was really kind of proud of how they were coming out and i was getting better and better at it and i was um i was starting to investigate i had a lot of um connections with like suppliers and stuff from previous careers of, of you know I, I had someone that could get me some really nice paper and stuff. And um, my father's an engineer, so I kind of came from like a mechanical background. And so when I got into printers specifically, I really got into like modifying and hacking my printers to be able to do what I needed them to do without breaking the bank, you know? And so I started to purchase more like home printers, just normal kind of Canon stuff. And uh, I would modify them to do what I needed them to do. I started to really invest into the materials I was using. I was extremely picky and like the ink, I tried so many different types of inks and I ended up using this like high pigment ink that's made in one lab in Japan. The paper I was kind of really obsessing over was made in a mill out in Italy. So as of right now, I'm like importing mass amounts of this Italian paper because I'm obsessed with it. Uh, There's so many other papers that I import and stuff. and, And so as I was kind of putting more thought and time into my own home printing, I was kind of seeing, I was printing stuff that friends were releasing too for my own personal use so like uh, someone would release a digital only game on itch and i would print it out and hold in my hand and read it and be really stoked on how it came out and then i would message my friend and be like hey look at this this is pretty cool right and then i did that with perplexing ruins and he's an artist that came out he started to get into the scene about the same time as me he really got on uh he was really um an active member on the pit before you know that kind of the pits kind of slowed down ever since, but we really connected because we both started getting into the art side of things together. We're bouncing a lot of ideas off of each other. We are seeing each other grow basically at the same pace and it was really cool. And he came out with uh, Darkness Moves, which was a, a module for Karn, which is um, like a, it's, it's a variant of like Nave. It's like a hack of Nave from Yokaija, and it's a really cool system. Yeah, it's really, really OG, neat. Uh, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yes. And he, he put a lot of time into this module he developed for this system. And it was really cool. I really liked it. And so I printed it out and I showed it to him. And he was really stoked. And he's a big fan of handcrafted things. And he used to work in like book repair and that type of stuff. So he was really familiar with this space. And he was really impressed. I sent him a copy. He was really, really impressed holding it in his hands. It's one of those things that it looks good in a picture. But once you really hold it and feel the material, you'll kind of understand why I'm so picky about this material. And, uh, and he was really impressed with it. And so I kind of approached him with like, Hey, what do you think about, um, you know, potentially selling these at that time, I had my own website, and I was selling my own books, the The Kickstarter had wrapped up. So I was selling the books I had left over on the shop, I was printing my own trifold pamphlets and art prints. And so I approached him and I was like, Hey, what if we sell a small number of these on my shop, and you know, I'll give you royalties on these, so you don't have to invest anything up front. And that really fit for what we wanted to do and so we gave it a shot and it did really well we did a run of 50 copies which is small but it sold out very quickly and and it was kind of surprising for both of us and it was again one of those light bulb moments of like this is a whole nother thing that i can do just aside from artwork that now like i'm pretty confident in these things i'm creating physically and so it kind of went from there he uh i when i work with uh printing people's work i'm not really interested in like asking exclusive rights or anything like that so uh, really kind of what i encouraged him to do is he took the money that we earned from the print run on my shop um, i paid him his royalties he took the royalties and then did a big run using a, a print-on-demand printer which is much 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 cheaper to work with than me and he got his own run of the same book and he sold it you know on his own patreon he sold it to a number of big retailers and stuff and so that let him generate even more income which was great to see and it kind of after that I kind of sat down and really put some time and thought into like is this kind of feasible and so ever since I've been kind of changing my trajectory I've been purchasing more equipment to allow me to do larger print runs you know I have now four printers sitting in my one bedroom apartment in San Diego I have you know industrial. Uh, stapling equipment and like all this stuff that I use to really accelerate the handcrafting process while still calling it handcrafting because I'm touching every single copy, I'm physically folding all this stuff by myself and cutting and trimming and and so th- based on that run for darkness moves, I started to reach out to other creators and once they understood, I was kind of offering a different approach to getting. Their work out into the physical world is a little different from the traditional, like having a whole bunch of copies made and then trying to sell it to retailers via wholesale. Um, this was more like a hands-off. It was more akin to traditional publishing, where a novelist has their novel and then they pass it off to a publisher to handle the production. They're not really worried about the production side of thing, the business side of thing, which frees the creator up to do what they want to do, which is create. Right, you know. So I would kind of handle. All these business side for these creators and do runs we started to do a number of different runs for different creators and they all do really really well started doing pre-orders for even bigger runs and sure enough people are willing to help fund it and so it's kind of again snowballing just like everything else and it's gotten bigger and bigger on this side of things but as of now things are kind of changing just because of the logistical issues I have to be very flexible when it comes to uh, materials because I am importing so much I I am dependent on a lot of very bespoke handcrafted materials and so as uh, the the looming logistical issues are kind of being caused by uh, like a perfect storm of a number of issues kind of spurred on by COVID-19 and a lot of uh, delays are being introduced into the supply chain and stuff and especially here uh, in the United States, I'm in California and trying to import from overseas or anything like that. There's a very long delay. There's very scary pictures of the Long Island ports of you know hundreds of cargo ships floating out there, waiting to go into port. And, and so as things are changing a bit, I'm having to change a little bit. It's like, I think a lot of other uh, places will have to change as well. You're probably gonna see more like digital content, you know, that type of stuff, but it, it's just a matter of adjusting You know, and figure out a good place for me while things are changing. Things are okay right now. I I just did a big run for EZAG, which is a a really cool project I was able to be a part of with Dank Dungeons. And uh, so I'm doing really, really well, but things will be kind of shifting a bit as material becomes harder to source. And even just getting books to customers is becoming challenging. Like the USPS just suspended shipments to Australia and New Zealand. So I find alternative ways to get books to those customers and stuff. And and so as the world kind of changes, we'll kind of change as well. It, It has the potential to get worse. You know, it has the potential to get better. It's really up in the air at this point. It's really hard to say. It's hard to project anything. And at this point, I've had to, you know, shift major projects. I had another project that was ready for Kickstarter that I'm delaying and shifting into a different idea because I wasn't comfortable trying to force, you know, a big project while there's so much up in the air especially if i need to have you know large material coming into port on pallets that's freighted over to me that that's a big undertaking and so i i kind of changed already and but depending on how things go i think things will um like i said get more digital for sure but i don't think you'll see people's willingness to purchase physical items dwindling i think you'll just see the availability of them kind of shortening or lowering you'll see smaller runs you know and that type of thing or you'll see longer production times where it's going to take a year for that kickstarter to be produced even though the book's ready it's going to take a long time just because of the delays and stuff so that's kind of where things are going and i'm trying to shift with it you know kind of uh, i think bruce lee said be like water so you have to be very fluid with these things right and that's what i'm trying to do but it's a very interesting this this landscape is very unique and it's not like any other I've ever been a part of, it's a very different industry. So as these things change around us, I think our industry will take you know really creative solutions and adaptions to to these problems. So I'm excited to things to see where things go, but you just may ultimately not get as many handcrafted items. I hope that's not the case, but we'll see.
1: Actually, I've seen uh, more recently that there's a number of Kickstarters that uh, you know people were concerned about because of the logistics happening. And then what's, what they've actually said is, well, actually we're printing in North America. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that actually might be a benefit for, for you down the road where it's like, we want to print it here because often, mm-hmm. uh, as you know, uh, people get them printed over, say in China, and then they get them delivered. And uh, so this actually might be, who knows, in the long run, it might actually be mm-hmm. a big benefit for uh, North American printing. And it can, is right uh, now.
0: Yeah, It's booming right now. Um, the problem and you know you get really deep into these issues but uh, really what's kind of stemming the biggest concern for me is um when you break down materials and you get lower into lower into the fundamental elements of each material that's being used wood pulp is kind of the most core element to paper thus printing so right now currently there's a very significant pulp shortage and so uh, we're seeing a number of mills upping production on their normal papers to help Fulfill orders for you know the general population. The, the average population is not interested in Italian felt paper. They they just want straight white printer paper. So a lot of these um, mills are now shifting their priorities to the to the white printer paper, and they're not printing these more bespoke things. And so that kind of trickles to the North American. Uh, although the, although this, although there is a lot of domestic printers, a lot of their materials aren't sourced or created domestically. So you end up getting into a, a supply problem where it's they're having to source their paper from other countries and stuff, and that's being delayed. So as of right now, which, has, which is very much subject to change and will change very quickly, um, a lot of printers and um, brokerages here have reserves of materials that they were able to source early on, which is arguably causing the supply issues now because so many people are trying to build up their own reserves in a number of different industries which is upping production it's stressing production out and it's stressing transit times out and so these these printers and such have a pretty good source of materials right now and they're burning through their reserves and they will burn through them pretty quick and they're going to inevitably hit the the point of I need to order more we need to supply our printing facilities with the raw materials which unfortunately may not be produced uh, overseas the pulp is majorly coming overseas. So, you know, and there's so many different aspects when it comes to this is the, the ink. There's certain uh, materials that are involved into the ink creation process that can only be sourced in countries overseas, just based on the production process. And so there's, you're seeing a big boom in North American printing, although it is much, much more expensive here. They are being very smart with how they're introducing the pricing and Trying to get people into the mind of if you do want to print domestically you really need to get the quantities up there you need to really really get it up there if you want it to compete with you know domestic or international, you know, printing overseas or mix and that type of stuff. You really have to get into the high numbers, but if you can do it, they're willing to help you. They'll really, really put a lot of effort to try to get it done domestically. But unfortunately with that big boom, you are going to see a lot of materials just kind of dwindle and it's going to be, we're going to have less time that the North American printers are going to be able to serve our market and it's not their fault per se i think it's a really good opportunity for the u.s printing market to really understand that if they are willing to work with pricing uh they can really really compete and people are really really interested in printing domestically but when you're getting into small numbers under 500 it gets really hard for domestic printers to justify those costs and you see a lot of art creators in our space they're not big sometimes it's just one person two people maybe you know and it's like a lot of these people don't even have business bank accounts and stuff so so the concept for them to pay over that to get a print run of a thousand of a thousand books done domestically is a daunting big, you know, that that's a challenge, you know, and, but that is where domestic printing is doing best right now. So it, it has the potential to really change things. I think in terms of the long-term future, I think it will help people's outlook on domestic printing. I think there will be a lot less dependency on overseas printing, but I don't think you're really going to be seeing much. Um, it, you're still going to run into the same availability issues with, Printers that are printing overseas. It's just a matter of the timing of it. It may take longer for us to feel the effects in those printers and such, but we'll see kind of where it goes from there. Ultimately, it might just be that these domestic printers are going to be best for stuff that isn't using fancy materials. It isn't, it's just kind of straight, you know, you cut and paste printing with this one paper option. And that's okay. That will serve a lot of the market right now. Um, but in terms of like, What I want to do, it's becoming very challenging just because of the material issue and they'll run into the same material issues. I'm running into it earlier because I'm looking at more luxury, bespoke type of items. So I would say if you're interested in domestic printing, keep an eye on the availability of as many printers as you can just to kind of get a beat on you know material that's flowing in and out. And uh, if right now, based on feedback, I've heard pretty much all the printers are backed up Just because so many people are looking for domestic solutions so if that's an interest to you work with them as soon as possible and you know if you especially if like you have the money right now go right now don't wait try to get it on the books now because they're going to try to want to schedule a month or two from now to get you in production so if you're just waiting and then all of a sudden you just okay i want to print today they're going to push you back months Uh so really try to keep that in mind and and have an understanding with these printing companies that they are just so incredibly busy right now. So, if you really want to work with them, you're going to have to put a lot of effort into you know getting yourself in there because everybody else is trying to do the same thing right now. Don't don't sleep on these guys if they're willing to do this work for you right now. Get it before the materials start to dry, you know, start to shrink. Hopefully, it won't be. I'm hoping it'll be far out, if at all. But just the way I'm kind of seeing things yeah. now, I think it's going to be sooner rather than later. Unfortunately. And then uh, because Zine Quest
1: is coming up, and last year ZineQuest was just a huge um, success and a lot of people yeah. dabble in the game design and that's their kind of first foray into it. And uh, often, you know, one of the reward levels is the print version. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, I'll throw this out to you. Do you want uh, people to contact you if they're thinking about doing Zine Quest this year, which is February, I believe, and uh, to yeah. get advice from you? Or are you going to be so backed up that... Uh, maybe they should look elsewhere
0: you know it's kind of tough to say because again everything's so hard to predict into the future right now uh again i'm doing pretty good right now but i'm also staring down the barrel of 12 uh titles that i'm i'll be releasing so it's i am already backed up unfortunately but that doesn't mean that i'm not open for people to approach me and then it's also a matter of you know although zine quest is trying to hurdle everyone into this specific timeline um I would encourage people to maybe consider looking outside of that timeline if you may want to. You know, we're not at the behest of Kickstarter giving us uh, backing. Quite honestly, uh, ZingQuest is getting very oversaturated. There's so many people participating in it that it, it becomes a very challenging space. So if I'm not able to do it in uh, ZingQuest's timeline, I certainly want to have people on a list of you know, potentially doing these things later on. And then if I'm able to solidify it because I was able to source the material, I will go ahead and follow up with them. But in general, I'm more than willing to help answer questions and stuff. I also have a network of other printers that I speak with. Uh, there's a number of guys that are trying to do what I am doing. And so what what I am trying to set up right now is I can't necessarily help you out with this, but I can give you this other printer's contact information that. I would be totally comfortable working with because it's again one dude like me printing his stuff folding it all himself making sure all this stuff looks the best it can possibly look and so if people want to reach out I I may not be able to work directly with them but I may be able to really help point them in the direction of high quality alternative versions of what you know of people they may not have even been considering because they're, they're just not aware of you know so
1: it's great and but I'm I got, very excited uh... I've got your, uh, shop, uh, section of your website up on the screen now, and if you can see it and just some mm-hmm. of the amazing products that you've put out. And, uh, is there a size that you kind of recommend as far as number of pages with the, uh, the mm. fold?
0: yeah, you know, it's, I do a lot of saddle, uh, overall. So saddle stitching is, you know, stapling the binding and, I kind of I like to keep it around 40 pages. With the size of my interior paper is a bit thicker, so if I kind of go over that, it gets a little bit unwieldy. And in terms of like format size, I like half page. Um, it works best best just with the uh, uh, materials I'm able to source. I'm kind of restricted in the sizes that I can print based on the materials I can source. And uh, so eight and a half uh, by 11 sheets get folded in half. And so we can do those most easily. So that's really where I like to encourage people to get into the headspace of that size. And, and honestly, that's my favorite size. That's why I print those personally, in my own books, is because that's my favorite size. But <clears throat> as our equipment kind of grows and as I am able to source new material later on. I will be able to do different sizes and stuff. But as of right now, kind of traditional saddle stitching restrictions of around 40 pages. The book you're looking at right there, a packet of particular pieces, I actually perfect bound that one. So that was uh, that's around 90 pages. And we can do perfect bound. It's a bit more of an investment on our end. So it can be a bit more challenging to work out with the creators, how they want to do things. Uh, this one's a very small, this is a good option for... Um, this is only a handful of pages this book right here so it's there's so many different um, formats I'm willing to work with but ultimately the materials kind of restrict our options there so if people want to really really work with me to have something handcrafted it really helps to have them approach me early on to get an understanding of what materials they may want to use which can ultimately determine the size of the overall book and how they can handle layout and stuff so if you do have interest in handcrafting and uh you know we see the opportunities potentially there to do something really solid in the future i'll set you up with a template of the format I think would do best. I'll kind of run by a number of different materials I would suggest, like sand and bone, the book you're looking at right there, for instance, we used a a speckled tone interior paper that helps kind of add to the, the sand effect. It has little sand kind of little uh, spots in the paper and it, that's one of the many options that I go through and just kind of pick through these materials that fit best with the product. So. If people do want to do something like that, like I said, sooner the better so we can kind of work together in the materials that we do want to source and that can really help make sure that it is a possibility the sooner we get together on it. And like I said, if it's not a possibility for us, I can point you to someone else that could potentially do it. Uh, this one you're looking at there, that's the drain from Ian That I did not print this, so this is a, uh, I sourced. A number of creative products directly from creators and then put them on the website that i think my audience will like for instance so that is also another option as i am uh, interested in seeing people's projects if especially if they've gone the extra mile in terms of maybe they handcrafted their own book or maybe they decided to use a kind of odder material i would be interested in hearing about that because i think my audience is very interested in those things and so if, if we're not able to work together in having me print your your unique book, I, I'm also interested in just carrying your unique book. So always feel free to reach out. I have a contact form right here on the website, or you could always just email me or wherever you find me on social media. I'm pretty open. Uh, feel free to contact me. You know, it's always worth a shot to see what we can do. And like I said, I can point you to someone else that I would just I would be just as confident with them handling their, you know, your work as opposed to me. So feel free to reach out.
1: Uh, quick question for you bleeds sure. and gutters what what's your preference or uh just kind of the way that you approach them
0: yeah it's kind of different for uh each product and, and everything's i do all of this stuff project by project so if we're going to be doing a lot of bleed it's uh you know 0. 0.125 inch you know outside safe margin same thing inside uh it, but that's subject to change if we want to get a little bit weird the bigger the zine is The closer I cut onto the interior paper to trim everything. So we have to account for that. So that stuff I make the creator aware of as early as possible. Um, If you want to do full bleed, that's not a problem at all. I do pretty much all my stuff with full bleed. Uh, There's color as an option. This one you're looking at there is black and white, just because I wanted to lower the cost on that one. That that was a bit of an experiment scene. So we did black and white on that one. But we could do full color. Um, There's all kinds of different options. I'm really expanding. I can't make any obligations right now but in the f- near future we would really like to expand the bespoke options as terms of, of like foiling and you know incorporating bookmarks and that type of stuff so really really aiming to make the most unique products that we can when the project calls for it we don't want to just make things overly fancy just because they can be i want things to complement the product and that's why we kind of go an extra mile in terms of looking at the Maybe the sandpaper would be fitting for a desert setting, you know, this type of thing. Maybe like a, a linen type book would be better. There's, we did a leather type cover for Meat Grinder, which was kind of like a hellish book. So we did something like a, red, a deep red leather. So we we kind of pick and choose the materials. And that really determines the restrictions as far as layouts and bleed and that type of stuff goes. And like I said, the earlier we work together to kind of determine that stuff, the better. So we're both in the same, we know our restrictions right out of the gate, that type of stuff. Um, But going from there, it's I want to offer a lot more options for the creator's sake. And so if there is something that I cannot do at this moment, but you're really wanting to do it, pick my brain and see you know what are maybe the costs we would have to invest to try to do something like that i'm more than willing to talk about that type of stuff because a lot of this stuff is really deserving a very unique high quality physical additions for people to purchase and i want to be a part of that that's the most fulfilling part of this is creating these things and bringing them into the real life so if i need to go to the extra mile to try to source some equipment to do this one thing that you are really trying to do and if the idea is really good enough i'm going to give it my best shot so it's you know, come at me with these ideas and we'll talk about the restrictions later on. Don't get bogged down in the bleeds and stuff. We'll handle that later. <laughs> let the experts handle that. <laughs> That's good. Yes, exactly. Like if you want to get involved, great. Otherwise, let me handle it.
1: Um. And so let's switch gears to your own content because I mean, it's very evocative. Um, and uh, in particular, your uh, most recent magazine, uh, Lost Fantasy. Let's. Uh, I'm going to bring it up on the screen here just tell us a little bit about how uh, this came to be and I'll uh, kind of sure. go through it and you can comment on it um, as we go.
0: Sure yeah the The whole Lost Fantasy project really was inspired by um, these kind of pieces of artwork that I would run into from the, sa- the 70s that was on cover artworks or sci-fi novels or I would run into you know little really inspirational views into like alien worlds that I'd never seen, be it a visual art piece or a little vignette or something like that. And, and I kind of, have always been very inspired by these worlds that potentially existed only in the minds of the person creating them. And so that's kind of what really inspired this. And I really wanted to support other artists and other um creators and and i wanted to see what was in their brains and so this was kind of an opportunity for me to approach these creators these artists like brendan elliott who did the beautiful cover right there and i basically worked with him and said hey what's a world in your brain that no one has ever seen can you visualize that for me and he did and he did a bit of beautiful job and sure enough he had this beautiful sci-fi outlandish world that he wanted to create and so I kind of took that and then wrote this whole piece on the Verith Realm, which kind of goes over, you know, what uh, it kind of applies this artwork and converts it to um, tabletop role playing, you know, things that could be used during those tabletop role playing games. So it kind of gives you inspirational, like what's in this realm, what can you find there, all these different things going on there that are just really nuggets of inspiration. Kind of how these visual pieces were nuggets of inspiration for me. And so i really t- i wanted to try something a little bit different i didn't tell anybody i was working on this i kind of just came out of the blue and did it and uh, i was curious to see what people thought and sure enough people really really like it and so i'm gonna be continuing the series i the second one's almost done actually and i'm working with a- incredible artists that um are kind of baffling to to work with right now and, it, and it's looping back around to where they're creating these pieces of artworks that if I had discovered on my own, I would have sat there for five minutes and stared at because they were so evocative and was getting my brain into this motion of what's going on there. You know? And so the that's really where I want to take lost fantasy and make it a bigger collaborative aspect and, and bringing in some artists that people may have never heard or, Finding some artwork that people have never seen and then creating gameable content based on that, which is a little bit of a a reverse. Normally, you would have like your game content and then you would hire an artist to depict that content. I'm kind of doing the opposite. I'm asking these artists to depict something for me that I have never seen and then I am converting that into gameable content or, you know, little inspirational aspects for people to use in role-playing games and I really want to take it there and keep going and you can see some of my artwork you know plays into this I'm able to supplement my own artwork in there and it's things get a little bit weird with the layout i really wanted to change or i really wanted to try new layout ideas and stuff and so you can see stuff like this which is very dramatic you know <laughs> but it's also very usable in in, in my ideas and it's also system neutral it's mostly just text tables that you read from once you roll your dice and you read uh you know whatever you rolled on and kind of do with it as you will as a game master and you can kind of they're all nuggets of little inspirational points that are meant to be taken further it's just a simple evocative inspirational piece again to kind of emulate these pieces i was seeing throughout the world and seeing them around me and they all kind of meant a lot to me as i as i realized as i grew as an artist i find myself referring back to these older pieces that really caught my imagination as a kid these landscape pieces for you know video games or rpg games and stuff really stuck with me sci-fi pieces that made me think like what is going on there? What is, why is that weird piece of technology there? I loved those things. And so this is my like kind of attempt to create these things and get my own stuff like that out to people in the hopes that maybe I can do that for someone else down the line. It's certainly been quite a journey.
1: (laughs) Well, it's often uh, what I find with the OSR in particular, it's how it's, it makes you feel more than anything it's and uh because I'm an older gamer and I go back to the AD&D era myself and the OSR makes me feel like I did when I first picked up the books and just how involved you were in just exploring that world and you just get lost in it and I you tell me if I'm wrong on this I the trend that I see is uh, but you know because technology has gotten better and the tools that we have available to us has gotten better that it used to be where there'd be somebody that would write and then they would just go hire an artist and you're a perfect example of the fact that you know artists are going, hey I could actually expand my skill set into games and mm-hmm. they already have the art available and they can customize it to the game versus the other way. And it seems to be that's a trend you know whether it's like uh, tales from the loop, was a good example of that where they approached the artist and said this looks like a great world let's make a game about it
0: mm-hmm. yeah I think that's really cool because it's you're finding there's a real acceptance in this community when it comes to um, visual arts and that, that's one of the coolest things about it to me is that so many people can try so many different ideas and then You know, maybe they're they're really confident in creating this RPG text copy, but maybe they're not so confident in their um, illustration abilities. But they'll try it because they're seeing so many other people try it, and you can really get into a headspace of um, I want less being there's not as much judging that occurs in this space it's more just very accepting of the artwork that's being presented so if you're able to give it a shot and to try to you know even just add some doodles or sketches into your products, it can go a long way and you would probably be surprised in the amount of feedback you'll get for that type of work and it's and it's the difference not bad in the space and in osr art is kind of like an odd term because it's referring to old pen artwork that predominantly had cross hatching or comic style negative space. Um, it, it had stippling for shading. and there's certain artistic aspects that come with OSR art style, but really OSR art style is just about any art style that you could imagine. And, and so many people have discovered that you can really apply, because like you said, it's the feel. So if you're trying to achieve a certain feel, and if you feel like your doodles are getting closer to that feel for you than this other artwork, or you know, someone you could hire that makes professional artwork, this more personal artwork that's coming for you sometimes can be a better fit for that project. And so in the OSR, you're seeing people take risks like that of, I'm really gonna try to do all of this on my own, or maybe I do only have access to this certain artwork. How can I use this artwork creatively to achieve the feel I am going for, it. and you see that you see that a lot with public domain uh, artwork, where people reuse public domain in such creative ways that it, it has a whole new feel, you know. And it's like there's so many different options you have now, and all a lot of these options are very celebrated and accepted in this industry. That necessarily isn't the case for others, like even for even for like Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition would be kind of frowned upon if you had OSR style illustrations in some of those books. Some people would be critical of that because they're very used to these painterly, professional, you know, very, uh, they're great pieces, you know, they, they, it's very uh, evocative in their own sense, but it, you wouldn't expect to see a doodle in there. But if you go back to AD&D, there's straight up just doodles in there. You know what I mean? So it's like the people that are interested in that style don't mind having like more simplistic stuff in their artwork. And so you really have an opportunity to try things in this space. And I encourage people to really try. If you see, you know, there's so many opportunities to introduce new styles of artwork in the OSR as well. So it's like maybe you're not an artist, but you have a real fascination with this one certain type of art that's not used in OSR yet, like let's say like pixel art. I'm sure it's been used or I'm sure it's been used in the OSR scene, but let's say you're obsessed with pixel art, you have an opportunity in the OSR to create a product and hire a pixel artist or try pixel art yourself and put it into this product. And people are going to be stoked on that. They're going to be really excited to see that new type of artwork being introduced into the space. And so you have a real opportunity to really try new things here and you know i encourage everybody to to try their best to put your heart into it and if you do it will be conveyed in your end product and people will see that you know what i mean so it's you can stress all you want about hiring a painterly artist to try to compete with fifth edition or you could be honest with yourself and your product and really find artwork that complements the the feel that you are going for and that will do so much better maybe not financially but in terms of like an overall product that you can be really proud of i would really encourage people to be more experimentive when it comes to this stuff and try stuff yourself too it's a really good opportunity to grow and if you are wanting to learn these certain types of artwork and stuff this is a great community to try to incorporate that into work that people will be using at games and physically reading, consuming, you know, and you can complement it with your artwork. So give it a shot, you know, and really put some time into what you're doing and into your practice and give it your all. I really encourage everyone to just give it your all and see what, see where it goes from there.
1: And that's one of the things I just actually said on a recent uh, video that uh, I created was that the authenticity of the OSR is one of its main selling features and people Mm want to see the blood of the designer in the pages they mm-hmm. you know sometimes it's not the, like you said not the high quality gloss art that you might see in a 5e book but you can feel the passion that comes with the project so i think uh, you know you captured it in a lot of the projects that you've uh, made and i think uh, you're supporting the whole environment and so i'm sure there's a lot of people that appreciate what you're doing for the osr and for role playing in general because uh, you know, I've heard the new SR, um, uh, phrase being used and I think it's good. I, I see this as the future of, uh, tabletop role-playing games. Like the stuff that is being created in the OSR is going to be the stuff that goes out there in the future. It's, it's, I think mm-hmm. the, the cutting edge of ro- tabletop role-playing games, I might be biased on that, but, uh, <laughs> but, no, you're uh, not wrong. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, I really want to thank you for joining me and where, what's next for you? Um, in your future what's what's going on the next few months next year and uh
0: where do you see yourself going that's a good question uh things are subject to change uh uh, i have like i said i have 12 products i'm staring at a list right now with 12 titles that i will be releasing some of them from me some from other creators some uh, highly anticipated some uh completely out of left field that i think people will be very excited for I like to really kind of surprise people with these things, so make sure you like follow me on all the social media. Pretty much all this stuff is L F O S R. It might be L F underscore O S R. Type it in, you'll find it on those platforms. Um, aside from that, I do. I'm currently working on a bigger project that I would like to take to Kickstarter. It's um, not as big as I really really intended it to be, but I'm trying to make sure that I can physically do it with all these looming changes and stuff. So. You might see a Kickstarter come out of the blue from me. We'll see. Uh, that's kind of a new idea that I really want to try. Uh, aside from that, I have a lot of uh, artwork that you'll be spotting in other people's books like i've been uh, i'm working on whole breach artwork right now which is a mothership product and there's a lot of uh stuff coming out with my artwork on it there's going to be the uh the new mouse Ritter box set has just finished up artwork for that so you can find all my artwork and lots of products and if you're interested in checking out more visit the websites lfosr.com you can uh, email me if you have any questions and stuff like that and uh Aside from that i think uh follow me and see what i'm up to because uh, like i said things are very subject to change right now but follow me and then uh you're going to be seeing a lot more releases from other creators on my shop as well so if you're interested in seeing what i am following what has been catching my interest and what i am so interested in that i literally want to craft it and sell it to you all uh keep an eye on the shop and follow me on social media
1: great Well, Leo, uh, thanks for joining us today, and I'm sure your advice and uh, just your passion for uh, game development and the OSR is really going to come through in the video, and uh, just once again, thanks for your time today.
0: Yeah, thank you, and thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.